Blog Talk Radio. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is May the 19th, 2017. Spring is certainly well underway, although in New York today, it certainly felt more like baked apple, uh, over 90 degrees, 91 or 92 degrees. I hope wherever you are, that the weather has been good and that life has been treating you well. I thank you for joining me at the end of the week. So we can play that uh, infamous game of catch up. And boy, there's so much to catch up on. Those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with this program, know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service. And ever since the terror attacks of September 11, 2001, uh, I have, in a manner of speaking, been a man on a mission a mission to get our fellow Americans and to get our alleged leaders to understand the true significance of our borders and our immigration laws to protect America and Americans. The 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, made it abundantly clear that first and foremost, the ability of the terrorists who did what they did to us on that awful day exploited multiple vulnerabilities in the immigration system many of which, by the way, still have not been addressed and in many cases have gotten worse. Of course, the Trump administration is operating under a handicap, a handicap created by the administrations of both George W. Bush and Barack Obama. The way that the Department of Homeland Security, I call the Department of Homeland Surrender, was put together Uh, was done in my belief, and not just my belief. You can look at testimony of such true leaders, moral leaders, as John Hostetler, representative from uh, Indiana, who had chaired the House Immigration Subcommittee. I testified before John's committee probably eight or nine times, as well as having gone before other committee hearings and subcommittee hearings. But it was clear that the goal of the Bush administration was not to follow the warnings, recommendations, and findings of the 9-11 Commission, which resulted in the Homeland Security Act, the enabling legislation that created DHS, but to seize the opportunity, in my judgment, in my judgment, to, to leave our borders open, to make immigration law enforcement all but impossible, George W. Bush, in my judgment, is a globalist, as are the politicians from both sides of the aisle for the most part. For the most part, they see sovereignty as a speed bump to their goals of flooding America with cheap labor and, uh, in so doing, cranking down wages for Americans. This is nothing less, in my judgment than the engineered destruction of America's middle class. Both parties bear responsibility for this lunacy. Without a true middle class, democracy becomes increasingly difficult. Um, and, And they really are shaking our democracy to its foundations 
by this unparalleled level of greed, they, the politicians, operating on behalf of such special interest groups as the United States Chamber of Commerce, various banking and Wall Street concerns, special interest groups, even the unions are in the act. Um, Full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. Can't tell you the last time I voted for a Democrat, but I'm a labor guy. My dad will always be uh, my biggest hero next to my mom. He was a construction worker, a tradesman, belonged to the plumbers union. And the unions today, with a couple of exceptions, are not representing the needs of their members, but are bent on, no matter what they have to do, increasing their membership so that they get more dues and more political leverage. And what this does is to create a surplus of workers at a time when there is a lack of adequate job opportunities. It's a prescription for a disaster. And Donald Trump is the first president in decades to not only talk about bringing jobs to America, but making certain that, in his words, those jobs would be done by American hands. So if you wonder why he's being attacked, understand this is about globalism. This is why the Gang of Eight or Eight Gangsters come from both parties, wanted to legalize unknown millions of illegal aliens, and I guarantee you the numbers are far greater, far worse than anything has been, that has been written by most of the think tanks and analysts and demographers and statisticians. Uh, and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes because that was the topic of my latest article for Front Page Magazine. But please understand the problems that we face. And many of those problems that we confront today, whether it's narcotics flowing into the country, uh, let's face it, even with the heroin epidemic at unprecedented levels, has anybody in the mainstream media talked about how heroin is flowing into America? Not just across that porous Mexican border, certainly no shortage of drugs to be found there. Point of fact, here in New York, in the Eastern District of New York, a criminal defendant Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, one of the most pernicious and prolific of all Mexican drug dealers, uh, is sitting in a jail cell in Manhattan waiting to go on trial across the, uh, the river, the East River in Brooklyn, because his narcotics, cocaine, heroin, meth, flooded America for quite some time. He killed tens of thousands of Mexicans. The damage he did is unbelievable. The narco-terrorists of Mexico have driven Mexico to the precipice of being a failed state. But yet, we hear about the opioid addiction, but nobody talks about the opiate, heroin, being smuggled in across the Mexican border, the Canadian border, through our international airports, and through our seaports and coastal regions. No one talks about how that money, and we're talking now of tens of billions, perhaps hundreds of billions, indeed, of dollars is flowing into the coffers of narcotics trafficking gangs and organizations and terrorist organizations as well. With all the coverage, with all the coverage, with the fact that schools now are being provided with Narcan, the antidote to heroin overdoses, there's no articles out there talking about how the heroin makes its way into the United States. And years ago, I began saying that the best metric for determining border security has nothing to do 
with the BS statistics of the arrests by the Border Patrol. Um, those numbers are, you know, to be taken with a huge grain of sand or salt or something. Um, you know, we don't know what we're catching, what we're not catching. And nearly half of all illegal aliens do not enter by running the Mexican border. They come through ports of entry. They violate the terms of their admission. They get visas by committing fraud. Uh, There's no shortage of methods for aliens who are determined to come here from entering the United States. Because up until the current administration, once here, illegal aliens had little to fear from immigration authorities. As I said when I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee back in 2013, the policies of the Obama administration, the immigration policies, had in essence fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from around the world. And for those folks, the finish line is the border of the United States. Because once here, they were all but guaranteed nobody would look for them, that nobody would seek to deport them, and that they could easily qualify to some sort of lawful status so they could work legally and send money home, even though there was no law justifying the legal status that the Obama administration had granted them. This is a huge issue. It's probably the biggest issue, although it's always been downplayed. That issue being borders, immigration, law enforcement, and sovereignty. And as you know, I write for a bunch of websites. I write for capsweb.org. I write for Front Page Magazine, do most of my writing for them. I write for the social contract. And in point of fact, um, their latest edition, it's a quarterly, uh, I have two articles, one about what any kind of effort to reform immigration law enforcement must focus on, and that, of course, being the best interests of America and Americans. What a quaint thought. I also wrote an article about immigration fraud, the lies that kill, talking about how visa fraud, immigration fraud, was the key enabling tactic for terrorists to enter the United States and embed themselves. 20-page article. Please go to The Social Contract. Please go to Front Page Magazine. Check out my latest articles. I am trying to provide you with the facts, the information, the insight that you're not going to get in the mainstream media. Let's just be blunt about it. And most of the mainstream television programs, you may not know this, engage in something known as the pre-interview, which is nothing short of censorship. And, and there's no way of knowing it happens because you turn on the news and there's the program. What you don't know were the phone calls made by the producers to potential guests who were asked point blank, if you came on the program, what do you think you would say about topic A or topic B or topic C? There are a couple of exceptions that are noteworthy that don't engage in pre-interviews. And now we're talking about Newsmax, we're talking about One American News Network, and we're talking about Blaze TV and specifically the Dana show. Uh, I'm frequently a guest on with Dana. I think she does a great job um, I've, on all those uh, networks. No pre-interview. They simply reach out to me. They send me an email. These are the topics. Are you interested in participating in a discussion? And by the way, is there anything else you'd like to talk about when you're on the show? Again, not asking me what side or what position I might take on the topic. That is what journalism is supposed to be about, ladies and gentlemen. So I highly recommend Newsmax, One American News Network, and uh, The Dana Show on Blaze TV. But this is stuff that the average American doesn't get to see or find out about. That's why I do this. Most Americans think 
that all that's wrong with Washington has to do with their elected representatives. Wrong again. You have an army of professional staffers who are the gatekeepers who provide access to the members of Congress, who very often read the proposed legislation. They do the heavy lifting. And many of them are constantly being courted by K Street, by the special interest lobbying groups. So they very often control the flow of information that go to their elected representatives, but no one voted for them. Some of them are excellent. I've worked with many of them, and they're terrific, and they're moral, and they're wonderful, and they're conscientious. And I've worked with some of these folks that if you uh, got in the same room with them, you wanted to take a hot shower with a Brillo soap pad and a disinfectant right after the meeting. So there's many components to that swamp in Washington. It's appropriate that the Capitol was built on landfill. And that's what I'm trying to do here, is to help you uh, see through the muck, see through the obfuscation, because we've never, ever been in the situation that we're in today where so much threatens our safety and our survival, and so many crooked politicians, forgive the redundancy, are willing to play, um, again, forgive the pun, fast and furious, thinking back, to that ATF investigation under Obama where firearms by the thousands were shipped to Mexico. Uh, We've never seen this before. And we the people have got to wake up and we the people are the ones who are supposed to control the government, not the other way around. And it starts with immigration. And it starts with seeing through what is being done with Mr. Trump right now. And I'm not a Trump fan where I'm on his payroll But I am a concerned American, and I am ecstatic that we finally have an administration that in many ways is doing what they need to do to try to fix the immigration crisis. Uh, There are some issues that I wish he would address differently, and and we'll we'll talk about that, not today perhaps, because time is short. But I will tell you that this is the best administration for the average American that we have had in I don't know how many decades. Flat out best. But this puts this administration, and Donald Trump particularly, at loggerheads with the globalists from both political parties. Um, Darrell Issa just came out and made the point about the special prosecutor being appointed. Not a special prosecutor, folks. It's a special counsel, not a prosecutor. And if Robert Mueller finds evidence of criminality, then he may well appoint or become the special prosecutor. But let's not jump the gun. There is no special prosecutor yet. Maybe never. Hopefully never. Because this is really a distraction, I believe, so that while the president is trying to fend off the accusations, he's not able to implement the programs that he's trying desperately to put into place. Think about it. If they can bog him down with minutia, with accusations, with allegations, if they can keep that on the front burner, then his plans to protect American jobs, to protect Americans through the effective enforcement of immigration law, the security of our border gets pushed to the side, off the headlines, where nobody will think about it because we are a nation whose citizens suffer ADD. So let's just take one of the issues. I mentioned it. Um, If you go to blog talk to that link that they put up where it gives a description of the program. Here's an issue that I want all of you to think about. And I said it when I was on a couple of radio shows this past week. I have a different take on it. 
I don't think you've heard this anywhere else. But by now, I'm sure that everybody in this country knows that Donald Trump had a meeting with Russian diplomats and purportedly provided them with highly classified information. Apparently, it's true. So now, here's the point. President of the United States. See, people keep forgetting he's the president. The president unilaterally, just as he has the unilateral authority to determine what aliens or group of aliens to keep out, you'd never know it from the BS court decisions that we've seen out of the Ninth Circus, as I call it. The president also has unilateral, singular, without going to anyone else saying, may I, has the authority to declassify or provide classified information to anyone that he or she designates. No violation of law. Pat Leahy, Senator Leahy should know better. We're going to get to the bottom of this and find out why he did it. Hey, Pat Leahy, I doubt you're listening to my show, but go back and read the laws. What are you going to find? The president exercised his authority as president? Now, there's an allegation. Wow. I mean, this is the madness. But, but here's what's been left out of the whole conversation, besides the fact that the president has that unilateral authority. Our situation with Russia is, is, is not good, and we can trace that to Barack Obama. And I got to tell you, when George W. Bush said that he met with Putin and looked into his eyes, I got scared. I thought the guy was on a date with Putin. So we have naive children who have been occupying the Oval Office uh, as a successful executive, but Trump is anything but a child. Forget his chronological age. Think of maturational age. You know, George W., mission accomplished, right? Some mission, some accomplishment. I won't even talk about Obama because I could go on and it would become a filibuster and we wouldn't get to anything else tonight. And I'd uh, just get my blood pressure through the roof. Not that, thank God, I don't have any blood pressure issues. But perhaps I could develop one thinking about Barack Obama. But understand something. The Russians do cooperate with us in some places the way the Chinese do. Because of Barack Obama, who clipped our wings and grounded the space shuttle fleet, we depend on the Russians to take our astronauts to the space station. Hopefully within the next two years that will change. But we still are hitching a ride on the Russian rockets. Now, here's the point that nobody, and I mean nobody, has spoken about, and I want you to sit back and think about this. April 15, 2013, the Boston Marathon terror attack. It was the Russians. It was the Russian government that warned the FBI and our intelligence services that the Tsarnaev family was a problem that they might pose a threat to U.S. national security. Huge story. Why is it a huge story? Because the Tsarnaevs are Russians. For Russia to talk about Russians to this country to warn us that people from Russia pose a threat to national security is a big deal. And it's a big deal that they did this and tried to help us. Unfortunately, the folks at the Bureau and elsewhere um, perhaps didn't take it as seriously as they should have under the Obama administration. And by the way, if they weren't asleep at the switch at DHS under Obama, they would have realized that the Tsarnaya family applied for and were granted political asylum. In order to be granted political asylum, 
Aliens must make a claim of credible fear. That's the language, credible fear, that if they were forced to return to their home country, they would face persecution or worse. So you would imagine that if you give someone political asylum, the last thing they're going to do is go back to Russia. Well, they did. Well, they did. And as a former agent, I can tell you that you could make a prima facie face for fraud by the simple fact that they voluntarily, willingly, knowingly got on an airplane and went back to Russia, and there had been no regime change. No regime change. So they go back to Russia. It should have been crystal clear that fraud had been committed. But everyone was asleep at the switch. It's like you know one of these locomotive engineers sitting in the cab, you know, running the train and and and, and speeding into a turn and, and uh, derailing. Well, we got derailed in Boston because DHS, under the prior administration, did bupkis to look for the fraud in the immigration system. Something that, by the way, if you go through the executive orders issued by Donald Trump uh, with consultation by Jeff Sessions, has made it clear that immigration fraud is a matter of national security. And they're right. And in fact, I did my very first hearing as a witness Back on May 20th, 1997, before the House Immigration Subcommittee, Lamar Smith was the chairman of the committee in those days, and the issue was visa fraud, immigration benefit fraud, because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 1993 by men from the Middle East. We've known for decades that immigration fraud threatens American lives and national security. And the Clinton administration ignored it. The Bush administration ignored it. The Obama administration blew the doors off the hinges. And so we have a terrible tragedy in Boston, but we were warned by the Russians. If this country wants to be getting those sorts of intelligence alerts from other countries, then you have got to be willing to put stuff on the table. It's got to be an exchange, not a one-way street. The information that reportedly was provided to the Russians by Donald Trump was the fact that ISIS had perfected a method for concealing bombs in batteries that go into laptop computers. And it wasn't exactly a huge secret because recently the TSA issued a warning that nobody coming from certain countries would be allowed to get on an airplane headed for the United States with their laptops because of the concerns that bombs could be concealed in the batteries that were secreted in laptop computers. And apparently the screening devices aren't able to pick up the explosives in those batteries. So this was apparently the information that Donald Trump gave to the Russians. It wasn't the nuclear launch codes, right? It wasn't some information that weakens our military. You could put it down as a humanitarian piece of information to help keep civilian airliners from being blown out of the sky. Think of how awful those images are when a civilian plane or any plane crashes, bodies and body parts strewn across the landscape, you know, little stuffed animals that were clutched by a child breathing his or her last. I don't think anyone has the stomach for that. So the President of the United States had information about a way to perhaps prevent a civilian airplane from being brought down by an explosive, and the media is going insane. The media is in a feeding frenzy because Donald Trump showed some humanity and common sense. Again, 
the Russians have on occasion provided us with important intelligence. If you want that exchange, and the word here is exchange of information to continue, then you have to put something on the table also. This is a swap meet. I show you mine, you show me yours. Now, what's remarkable is that various newspapers were out there saying, well, now that he did this, Trump, oh my God, oh my God, the Russians are going to know where the information came from. Well, it was reported that Trump didn't know where it came from. However, the New York Times and other publications went and wrote an article or articles that said this came from Israeli intelligence. Stop everything. Just a moment. These same higher-than-God authorities scribbling with their crayons in that newspaper, screaming about the president divulging source of intelligence, publishing that the source was apparently Israeli intelligence. If they want to scream about prosecution, why don't they turn themselves into the U.S. Attorney's Office and say, yep, we did it, lock us up. The information, whether it's true or not, that the information came from Israel was not divulged by Trump, but apparently leaked by alleged journalists, some journalists. This is the level of lunacy that we're witnessing today in America. The president does his job as he sees fit. That's why we elected him. He's second and third guessed by the Democrats and Republicans alike, more Democrats, obviously. But you've got a bunch of sharks in the Republican Party also, and they've been sharpening their teeth in anticipation because they would love nothing more than to end the immigration policies, the secure border policies, the pro-sovereignty policies, the populist policies of the Donald Trump administration. That's what I believe is going on. And they have a problem now. You see, because if they find something is wrong somewhere, they have cried wolf so many times. They've engaged in a witch hunt, which Trump calls a witch hunt, and I don't always agree with Donald Trump. I don't even always agree with me, but it does smell, and I do mean with a stench, of a witch hunt, unprecedented witch hunt. Because we have never been so determined as a country because of alleged leaders to erase our borders and eliminate American sovereignty and destroy the democratic process and the American dream for Americans as we are today. So Donald Trump is doing everything in his power to keep campaign promises. Now, that's got to send a lot of these political yo-hos to the bathroom. Imagine a political person keeping campaign promises. Oh, wait a moment. That's the problem. Donald Trump isn't a politician. And as a businessman, he knows that his reputation is determined by how he does business. If you make a bunch of promises as a businessman and fail to keep it, you go out of business. In politics, you get reelected. That's what the problem is, you see? And that, I think, is why everyone is so torqued about Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump is keeping his promises, protecting the jobs of Americans, trying to see the middle class wage go up, and that's exactly what the both political parties don't want to see. And that is probably, I believe, 
the motivation behind the attacks. And as a former agent, I can tell you, you always look to motivation. Boys and girls, I think we've established motivation. What say you? Now, I want to get to this article that I wrote for Front Page Magazine, and I'm very proud to, uh, to be a regular contributor of Front Page Magazine. It's sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. A couple years ago, they sponsored an event in Florida, in West Palm Beach. What a magnificent place to go, by the way, where I participated in a panel discussion, quite a privilege, with Senator Jeff Session, Congressman Louis Gohmert, and another congressman by the name of John Fleming. And so I write for Front Page Magazine. I usually write four or five articles per month for them, once a week, sometimes a little bit more than that. And the article that I wrote most recently, it was published on May 15th. And this is a topic that, again, I don't think you're seeing anywhere. I don't think you're seeing this anywhere, folks. False Claims to United States Citizenship is the title, the subtitle, Far from a Victimless Crime. Now, the predication for my article was actually a news release published by ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, on May 8th. I recommend you go to the ICE website. You learn a lot there. I used to call it dumpster diving under the Obama administration, but you can see things have changed. There's a lot of momentum to bureaucracies. You know, it's a big ship trying to turn it around. But more and more articles on the website are about immigration law violators. So... Here's an article that caught my eye. 15 illegal aliens arrested in East Texas for identity theft. You know, when I travel around the United States, and if any of you folks out there are familiar with such opportunities, please let me know. You can reach me through my website, michaelcutler.net. Or you can contact capsweb.org. You can find them online, give them a call. They'll reach out to me and let me know. But probably the easiest way, michaelcutler.net. Um, when I do these speaking events, or when I get emails occasionally, people will say to me, well, wait a minute, Mr. Cutler, wouldn't E-Verify solve this whole problem of illegal aliens? If you have mandatory E-Verify, you can't hire illegal aliens, so you're cutting off the job magnet. And, you know, that's a reasonable argument. We hear it from politicians all the time, but it's only a partially accurate uh, strategy. It's kind of like saying the solution to people speeding is to put up more speed signs. If there's nobody out there with a badge and a radar gun and a summons book and perhaps handcuffs, it doesn't matter what the speed limit is. E-Verify is easily defeated by unscrupulous employers who hire people off the books. How many times have you heard about people being hired off the books? I used to raid factories. and You'd walk into the factory and there were time cards on the wall sometimes two sets of time cards. So one set of time cards is for the people that are being paid on the books. The I-9s are all prepared that, that's required. Everything is according to the regulation and law. And then you got a bunch of other people there, and they're not part of that program. They're off the books. So if you have an employer with 150, with 150 employees, and, and 50 employees are on the books, and he has 100 off the books, those 100 may well be illegal aliens, and he verified that he belongs to, hasn't deterred him one bit. People don't investigate him, don't come to the factory or the office or whatever the establishment is and interview the employees and run computer checks to find out who they are and so forth, then the employer 
who's swindling the system gets away with it without audit. Same thing as the IRS. You need the agents to be out there to conduct the investigations and do the audits. Well, guess what? Donald Trump wants to triple the number of ICE agents. Whoops. The big corporations, the slimy ones that are hiring illegal aliens, do you think that they're happy about that? And they know that they can give a big enough campaign contribution, also known as a bribe where I come from, to convince the members of Congress to not give the president the money to hire the agents. You see, it's kind of like a mobster buys a new Ferrari. He doesn't want to worry about getting pulled over for going 100 miles an hour. And if you, he lives in a corrupt town, he talks to the mayor and he gives the mayor a campaign contribution and the problem goes away. You see? That's where corruption and a lack of integrity comes in. But in this case, it was the illegal aliens who gamed the system by getting their hands on basically Puerto Rican birth certificates. Because here we were dealing with uh, citizens of Guatemala, Mexico, and one Honduran of the 15. And they were working at, at, at ports of entry, at, at seaport, rather. So that's critical infrastructure. If you have access to a port, you have access to ships that are coming in, cargo coming in, people coming in. God knows the potential is there for a problem with security. And so ICE agents went out there, rounded them up, and they're going to charge them with making false claims to United States citizenship, committing identity theft, and so forth. Great job on the part of the ICE agents. I'm glad they're doing what they're doing. I tip my hat to them. This is the way you do your job. It's the way I did my job, and my buddies did the job way back when. So now we come to this issue about false claims to United States citizenship. So I'm going to ask you a question for you to think about. How many times do you hear the statistic, there's 11 million illegal aliens in the United States? Sometimes they say there's 12 million, but it's usually closer to 11 million. And we always hear it, 11 million, 11 million, 11 million. In 2007, the Congressional Budget Office did a study looking at the impact of illegal immigration on the United States. And in fact, they, one of the impacts was they said that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate kids who can't speak, read, or write English big issue. But back then they estimated that there were 12 million illegal aliens here. Of course, the Wall Street crooks are saying, oh, the number of illegal aliens is going down. Everyone's leaving. And not so fast. It ain't happening. But that's what they claim. They, they're hoping that nobody will want the laws enforced because the companies are looking to exploit cheap foreign labor, whether it's legal or illegal. Look at the H-1B visa program. right? Look at the EB-5 visa program. We'll have more to talk about that in, in future shows. The investor visas. But how do we know how many illegal aliens are here? Now, I know there's a lot of think tanks out there, and they, they make very beautiful charts, multicolors. I mean, it's really fascinating. And, and bar graphs and pie graphs and line graphs and circle graphs. And holy smoke, it is really great. Arts and Crafts 101. Now, forgive me. Forgive me. But if my cynicism is showing, it should. So should yours. How in the world did they determine how many illegal aliens are present in the United States? These are probably the same folks who told us during the Reagan administration when they were jamming immigration reform down our throats because it included the first and supposedly only amnesty program that a million, a million and a quarter illegal aliens would waltz out of the shadows and into the sunshine. 
we wound up with between three and a half and four million. Now, how did that happen? I wonder. Well, some of them may have come here after the cutoff date and just lied. Immigration fraud, the lies that kill. But there's another possibility. People lied about their immigration status. Now, I can tell you as an immigration agent, we encountered this all the time. Where are you from? Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. Really? And then you would ask them certain questions, certain words about landmarks, about culture. Because we as immigration agents got that training at the Border Patrol Academy where I went. And why did they give that training? Because it was an every, every single day occurrence on the job as an immigration agent. What's your name? Joe Smith. Where are you from? Puerto Rico. Okay, right. What's the name of, and you'd give them some, and I'm not going to give you the questions here because I don't need people knowing what we look for and so forth, but that's one of the ways. And then we could also have uh, investigations done overseas in Puerto Rico or elsewhere to determine when people are lying. But do you think local cops are getting that training? Do you think other federal agencies are getting that training? No. And it's sanctuary cities. If some guy who's an illegal alien says he's Puerto Rican, that's great because now they don't have to deal with him at all. Yeah, the guy's Puerto Rican. He's not? Oh, who knew? Right? Boom. Everyone's happy because immigration's not involved. And if the name of the game is to keep immigration from getting involved, what could be easier than to believe the guy who lies about being from Puerto Rico? So people say, well, 30% of the inmate population, the federal jails, are aliens. Maybe not. At least 30% are, but it could be a lot higher. People lying about their citizenship. And no one is looking to break the false claims. Now, here's what happens. Number one, the statistics are skewed because we're not counting all the illegals, just the ones who admit to it. Or if they were fingerprinted previously, and at that time they were deported, whatever, then the prints come back. And I think that's how they were able to figure out here what had happened because several of these individuals apparently were prior deportees, which, by the way, is a felony. And those of you who know my show, and I'm going to crow a little bit, I worked with Senator Aldamato back in the 80s to convince him to create what became the aggravated felon reentry law. I did. I was assisted by a bunch of my colleagues and a mentor, uh, someone I think so much of, unfortunately, passed away uh, a while back, Walter Connery, the chief of investigations in New York, had unbeknownst to me, and my activities were unbeknownst to him, um, former head of internal affairs for INS, and inform- before that he was the head of internal affairs for the New York City Police Department and an attorney, wrote a legislative initiative to D'Amato suggesting that an unlawful reentry by criminals should be a 20-year felony. Uh, ironically, that's exactly what I had recommended. So we primed the pump. Walter Connery sent that executive, uh, that uh, legislative initiative to uh, the senator, and we got the law changed. And, and so the law is on the books. But, but, but here's the point, though. This was an everyday occurrence that people would claim to be U.S. citizens who weren't. And that's why they invested the time and money at Border Patrol Academy to teach us how to break those false claims. So do we really know how many illegal aliens are present when people are lying about where they were born and who they are and likely getting away with it? So everyone's telling us 11 million. It could be 20 million. It could be 30 million. It could be 40 million. It could be 37 million. We don't know. But you have advocates for comprehensive immigration reform in both parties. Remember, the eight gangsters, four and four, came from both parties. They want to legalize everybody. They basically want to declare anybody born on planet Earth to be a U.S. citizen. 
Think what that would do to us. You want to talk about sustainability? It takes my breath away. Because the other thing that they're not talking about, the other thing you're not hearing on the mainstream media, although Newsmax and One American News and the Dana Show love when I talk about this, they're singular about this. They don't lie about this the way other networks do. Every single legalized, illegal alien, if we're stupid and self-destructive enough and corrupt enough to pass that kind of legislation in Washington, every one of the unknown millions, tens of millions of illegals would immediately, the next morning, the sun rises, they could run and fill out applications to bring in all of their spouses and every single one of their minor children. And in third world countries, it's not unusual to have eight or nine kids. You would have many more people coming legally than the number of illegal aliens we would legalize. What in the world would we do if 40 million illegal aliens were legalized and only half of them had an average of five or six kids that they immediately petitioned for? How many tens of millions of foreign students would suddenly be enrolling in our schools? We'd have no way of screening to make sure they're not gang members, make sure they've been inoculated. The numbers would just be too daunting. And the schools would overflow. And let's go back to that 20 to 40% number for what it costs to educate kids who are not fluent in the English language. This is not a matter of Mike Cutler being mean and nasty or lacking compassion. Folks, I'm very compassionate. But we have to be realistic about what America can afford to do and what it can't afford to do. No rational people would give money to charity if they couldn't afford to feed their children. You don't give money to charity when your own children are going to bed hungry at night and wearing torn clothing. One in four American kids today live below the poverty line. But these are the sorts of facts that the politicians from both parties and that the journalists from many news organizations operating in concert with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Think of how many politicians from both political parties are immigration lawyers. That's why they want free legal counsel for illegal aliens. They don't do that for anybody else. Why? And people say to me, well, Mr. Cutler, they're, they're pandering to the illegal. You don't pander to someone who can't do anything for you. No, they're pandering to themselves. They want to make sure that they and their friends get paid. If illegal aliens are living in poverty, they might not be able to pay legal fees. And lawyers are all about billable hours. You see, this is the big shaft that Donald Trump is trying to fight. And what's the reaction? Let's bog him down. Let's attack him, attack him, attack him, and attack him. But you know how I'm getting to see this. Every time he's being attacked, it's really an attack on America and Americans. Now, he may have done things wrong, and if so, he needs to be made accountable if that's what comes out of the special counsel's findings. But I, I have this giggle that I, I, and again, remember, I'm registered as a Democrat. I hate both parties. I, I call them the repugnant cans and the Democrats. But, you know, Hillary's email came to life because of that sleaze bucket, Anthony Weenie, who, by the way, pleaded guilty today and got the good news 
that his wife is now finally divorcing him. I guess she said enough is enough is enough. Enough? How many more times? But it was the investigation into Weenie and his texting that brought to light or brought to light Hillary Clinton's email problem. You see, everything is interconnected. I just think it would be kind of fun, perhaps, if the people screaming about Donald Trump find out that their own skeletons come falling out of the closet once they start shaking the trees. Washington is such a cesspool. It is such a cesspool. The notion of representative government, you need to ask these people who they think they're actually representing. You know, after 9-11, you would have thought, you would have thought common sense would have prevailed. You would have imagined that Congress would look at the 9-11 Commission report, and they would have said, well, the commission was very clear about what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. This isn't optional. We're at war. We suffered more casualties on 9-11 than we suffered on December 7, 1941. Nineteen young men barely out of their teens inflicted more casualties upon the United States than did the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. So you would imagine that everybody would be on the same page. And for the first couple of years after 9-11, for the first couple of years after 9-11, I was being called by Congress. They knew, and these were Republicans mostly who called me, they knew that I was going to spank President Bush because he was not doing what he should be doing with immigration. They gave the president enough money to hire 800 new ICE agents. I thought that was a low number. And what does he do? He he takes the uh, 800 new ICE agents, slashes it, and says, no, we're only going to hire 143. They gave the president enough money to hire 2,000 Border Patrol agents for that year and each of the next four years. This is back in 2005. And what does he do? Cuts that down to 210. And so when I agreed to testify, the first thing that I did was to go check out what Eduardo Aguirre, the first director of Citizenship and Immigration Services, had to say. Citizenship and Immigration Services adjudicates all those applications for political asylum, for United States citizenship, for green cards, and so forth. And so Mr. Aguirre said that his first priority was to clear up the backlog of applications for all those benefits. Again, if you're not an insider, you don't know this, but I spent a year as an adjudications officer, and to this day I have friends who uh, went to headquarters doing the adjudications program. So I'm intimately familiar with each and every mechanism within the immigration system. How many people on TV are familiar with it? See, I used to go on TV every, every other day. I was averaging a dozen to 15 television interviews per month, and all of a sudden the music stopped. All of a sudden... They didn't want to bring in former immigration agents. They wanted to bring in pundits, pollsters, and political consultants. Not for any other topic. When there's a homicide, they bring in detectives who have retired. They bring in profilers from the FBI when it's about a kidnapping. If the story is about drugs, they bring in former DEA agents. If it's about guns, ATF agents. If it's about the military generals and commandos. But immigration? Oh, no, no. We can't have people that really know what they're talking about. No, no. We've got to treat the American people like mushrooms, keep them in the dark and feed them a lot of uh, manure. Okay. But if you look at Eduardo Aguirre, he said goal one was to clear up the backlog. Now, what does that mean? Rubber stamp the applications. It takes only minutes to approve an application. If you try to deny an application, then you've got to write a lengthy denial 
You may have to call for an investigation, and there's not enough agents to go around by anyone's estimation. And then you write the denial based on the report written by the agent, and then your denial goes to the attorneys who check it for legal sufficiency because it must be anticipated that there will be an appeal filed by the lawyers. That can take days or weeks. And if you're clearing up the backlog, boys and girls, you don't have time for such frivolity. If you stamp it, it goes away. We've got to clear up the backlog. That was priority one. There goes integrity, shot to hell. And the 9-11 Commission, by the way, was very clear about this danger. In fact, let me read something to you. Um, Okay. Bear with me one moment. So this is the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet, prior to November, September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons that we discuss in the following pages, it must be made one. Now, you should know there were 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. Today, there are 38 visa waiver countries. Why is that? Because both the Bush and Obama administrations yielded to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Discover America program. And their goal, their goal is to expand the number of visa waiver countries. Okay? Then we are told this. This is from the 9-11 Commission staff report. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. Think about this guy talking about how we're going to clear the applications, right? Get rid of the backlog. Okay. Immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming he picked beans in Florida. That program, by the way, was largely authored by Senator Chuck Schumer, who at the time as a member of Congress had no farms in his district. I asked him about that when I met with him in person, and he escorted me out of his office. Never mind, I was supposedly a constituent. Lots of luck. It gets worse. Mohammed Salome who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residence under the agricultural worker programming, but was rejected. Ayyad Mohammed Ismail, who drove the van containing a bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa. After he dropped out, he remained in, status, he remained in the United States out of status. You have Janet Napolitano, the former head of DHS, declaring that her campus, she's now the president of the University of California, UCLA, she has now declared her campus a sanctuary for illegal aliens. So here we have, again, right out of the 9-11 Commission staff, <laughs> students overstaying their visas. They went about their deadly preparations to carry out bombings. So let me get back to Mr. Regeary. Priority one, clear up that backlog. Throw caution and American lives to the wind, Mr. Regeary. Thank you so much. The second priority was to improve customer service. Well, what the hell? We should be smiling at everybody. His third priority, you're going to love this one, enhance national security. I'll spare you the language. 
But when I saw this, as I did my research when I was preparing my testimony for that hearing about a dozen years ago, I flipped out and I said, who the hell is Eduardo Aguirre? So I looked him up. He had been the president of the private international bank of the Bank of America, the first bank, major bank, to accept Mexican matricula cards even after the FBI warned that they could not be trusted and that those cards posed a threat to national security. This was the wolf guarding the hen house at Citizenship and Immigration Services. <clears throat> so you, you look up and down the line of what we've done as a country after the World Trade Center was reduced to rubble, after the Pentagon was hit, after that plane crashed in Pennsylvania, after 3,000 people were slaughtered, and many more have since died because of their exposure to toxins. If you look at the Zadruga bill, the billions of dollars being spent on illness suffered by the people exposed to the toxins. And by the way, and I'm having a senior moment, it was the wonderful head of the EPA, who said that the air was clean in lower Manhattan. And of course it wasn't, and it wasn't. So I, I look at all of the lies and all of the nonsense. Mayor Giuliani said that the air was okay, that people didn't need to get the air, the, the, the filter masks, because there was a concern that the value of real estate would probably go down. I think that's what motivates people. They look at the economics of it and that took front row. That took front row. Folks, you need to understand the problem that we have. Now, maybe Giuliani was operating under the assumption because the EPA said everything was okay. I don't know. Maybe. I'd like to believe that. He's a former federal prosecutor. He's prosecuted terrorists. Maybe not. I don't know. But someone needs to ask these people why they did that. I certainly confronted Michael Chertoff over the fact that when a citizen, when an alien becomes a citizen, their U.S. passport only reflects their new name if they decide to change names. They said, why don't you put the original name in the passport? Because we're putting terrorists in their own witness protection program. They keep their, their original passport from their original country under a different name, and so they're able to travel around the world by alternating which passport they use when they enter different countries and book airline reservations. Michael Chertoff, the first secretary or the second secretary of Homeland Security more properly, I think Ridge was the first, said to me, Mr. Cutler, you have no idea how political this is. And I said to him, saving American lives is political? The level of malevolence that our government is demonstrating is unparalleled. Unparalleled. It took us 44 months to win the Second World War. 44 months after 9-11, I sat at a hearing and listened to testimony from Richard Stennett, I believe Richard was the head of OIG, the Office of Inspector General for Homeland Security. And he said that they were working on a mission statement for immigration. And he admitted at the hearing to John Hostetler, who went ballistic, that the only agency that was demolished when they created DHS was immigration. They took immigration, cut it into little pieces, and made it dysfunctional. And 44 months after 9-11, they were working on a mission statement. 44 months after December 7th, 1941, the war was over. We built fleets of airplanes and ships that had never existed before. We built uh, everything that we had to build. We did whatever it took. 44 months after 9-11, they were working on a mission statement. So if you look at everything that's now going on, folks, please understand what the problem is. The problem is that we have politicians 
who apparently don't care about America or Americans but care about their campaign contributions and care about placating their employers, the special interest groups. I'm going to end today by reading something to you that I prepared a while back for a speech I was giving in Washington. It's the similarity between prostitution and politics. Both professions begin with the letter P. Both professions involve lots of people getting screwed. In both professions, the practitioners will assume any position, no matter how ridiculous, uncomfortable, or contrary to common sense, for the right price. In prostitution, the clientele bring their fantasies that the prostitute tries to fulfill. In politics, the constituents bring their concerns, and the politicians respond by making promises that they fulfill by creating fantasies. STDs can give the clients of prostitutes a case of buyer's remorse, or perhaps a case of something more serious, while voters may well suffer buyer's remorse when they come to find out what their elected official does when, she or, when he or she is actually sworn into office. Talk about the gift that keeps on giving. I hope you find this program enlightening, perhaps upsetting, but if you do, knowledge is power. My goal is to empower you. Please let your friends know about my program, about my articles. Go to the websites, capsweb.org, Front Page Magazine, The Social Contract, and, of course, my personal favorite website, michaelcutler.net. Please get involved. You know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Have a great weekend, everybody. I look forward to seeing you again right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night.